to another edition of Has Help Hotline. Today we are going to be starting, or not starting, we are going to be talking about the legacy of the Cultural Revolution. And I started this episode with a song called Deng Xiaoping by Brazzaville or Brazzaville. I'm not 100% sure how you pronounce that, but I just thought that was appropriate. So when we're looking at the Cultural Revolution, when the CCP and his Mao's successors need to look back on it and make what they consider to be a proper historical judgment on the chaos caused by the Cultural Revolution, but still needing to preserve the legitimacy of the Communist Party. So in June of 1927, uh, 1981, sorry, not in June of 1927, Start again. June 27th, 1981. So on June 27th, 1981, the Central Committee adopts the resolution on certain questions in the history of our party since the founding of the People's Republic of China, which is basically an official assessment of all the major historical events since 1949. And it says that Mao's leadership role in the movement was, quote, chief responsibility for the grave left error of the Cultural Revolution, an error comprehensive in magnitude and protracted in duration, does indeed lie with Comrade Mao Zedong. However, end quote, however, it doesn't really place the blame on Mao himself, stating that the movement was, quote, manipulated by the counter-revolutionary groups of Lin Biao and Jiang Qing, unquote. So it, this resolution on certain questions in the history of our party since the founding of the People's Republic of China say, states that the Cultural Rev- Revolution, quote, brought serious disaster and turmoil to the Communist Party and the people of China, unquote. So the official view that laid out in this resolution was aimed to kind of separate what Mao did during the Cultural Revolution from all the heroic stuff he had done pre, pre previous to that, prior to this, like in the Civil War and the Sino-Japanese War and all that. It also kind of tries to separate Mao's personal endeavors and mistakes from his ideology and the correctness of this ideology because it's saying that the cultural revolution kind of contravened the spirit of Maoism and Mao Mao Zedong thought and that still remains an official guiding ideology of the party. I think Deng Xiaoping probably summed this up best when he said, 
quote, Mao was 70% good, 30% bad, unquote. Um, after the Cultural Revolution, Deng affirmed that Maoist ideology was responsible for the revolutionary success of the Communist Party, but abandoned it, abandoned it in practice to favor, quote, socialism with Chinese characteristics, unquote, which is more about market economies. So in mainland China, the official view of the party now serves as the framework for any sort of historical um, views of that time period. And so the alternate alternative views, which we'll discuss, are discouraged. So following the Cultural Revolution, there was a new genre of literature, Shanghen Wenxiu, or scarred literature, which emerged um, and was encouraged by the government at the time. And it was written by educated youth and depicted the revolution from a negative viewpoint using their own perspectives and experiences as a basis for that view. So it's not like they have completely, and by they I mean the Chinese government has completely exonerated themselves or anything like that, and they will acknowledge that this happened and it was not a good thing. Uh, I think that's how they can kind of get away with still having pictures of Mao everywhere and, and, and that sort of thing. Now, in 1989, and we'll get to this in more detail in more, uh, not previous, um, future podcasts, there was a huge student protest at Tiananmen Square and the suppression um, was pretty intense and both sides of the party accused each other of excesses that they claimed were kind of um, uh, reminiscent of the Cultural Revolution. Li Peng, who had promoted the use of military force, uh, claimed that the student movement had taken inspiration from the populism that had occurred during the Cultural Revolution and that if it had been left unchecked, it would have eventually led to a similar degree of chaos as the Cultural Revolution had created. Um, Zhao Ziyang, who was uh, sympathetic to the protesters, later um, accused his political opponents of illegally removing him from office by using what he called cultural revolution style tactics, including, quote, reversing black and white, exaggerating personal offenses, taking quotes out of context, issuing slanders and lies, inundating the newspapers with critical articles, making me out to be an enemy and casual disregard for my personal freedoms, unquote. So you can see that the cultural revolution and the stains that it left on Chinese society and the Chinese people is still just under the surface, so to speak. Now, while the Chinese Communist Party officially condemns the Cultural Revolution, 
there are some Chinese people who do hold a more positive view of it, especially those who benefited most from the policies, and that would be the working class. Since Deng Xiaoping ascended power, the government uh, has arrested and imprisoned people who have been more pro-cultural revolution in their uh, viewpoints. So, for example, in 1985, a shoe, shoe factory worker uh, put up a poster on a factory wall in Xianyang, Shanxi, which declared that cultural revolution was good and led to achievements such as the building of the Nanjing-Yangtze River Bridge, the creation of hybrid rice crops, and the rise of people's consciousness. The factory worker was sentenced to 10 years in prison where he died, uh, and the official cause of death is, quote, without any apparent cause, unquote. So one of the student leaders of the Tiananmen Square protests in 1989, uh, Sheng Tong, who is the author of a book called Almost a Revolution. Sorry for that interruption. Um, what was I talking about? So Sheng, oh, Sheng Tong, author of Almost a Revolution, he actually has uh, a positive view on aspects of the Cultural Revolution. So... He actually said that um, the trigger for the 1989 hunger strikes was uh, Dai Zibao, which is one of those big character post posters that was around, especially during the Cultural Revolution. And he actually said that the congregation of students from across the country to Beijing on trains and the hospitality they received from residents was reminiscent of the experiences of Red Guards in the Cultural Revolution. So, the, I mean, I'm, this is not saying that he thought that the Cultural Revolution was awesome. Like I said, there are some aspects which he saw as positive, such as the use of the Daisibao and the fact that when the Red Guards were going around on the trains and everything, the hospitality they received and like the greetings that they um, got were really good. Now, obviously, the internet has um, allowed for much greater discussion of the Cultural Revolution. And since the advent of the internet, people both inside and outside of China have been able to kind of make their opinions heard about the Cultural Revolution. And some have argued that the Cultural Revolution had many beneficial qualities for China that have been denied by both the Communist Party in its kind of denunciation of the Cultural Revolution and Western media. So, for example, some say that the Cultural Revolution cleansed China from all its superstition and its religious dogma, and uh, it got rid of all these outdated traditions, that it's a, a, it's a better thing. And this is what actually helped make Deng's more modern economic trans reforms possible. Um, this is something that 
can be argued. Uh, I'm, I have, it's, I'm not going to say either way. This is something that you can think about on your own. Now, there are also, since the age of the internet, you have more uh, what are called contemporary Maoists who have come and grouped together and found each other. And one of the things that they've done is especially is to respond to criticisms of Mao. And there have been like, so a Maoist website collected um, thousands of signatures demanding punishment for those who publicly criticize Mao. And they also demanded that agencies in neighborhood communities could report anti-Maoists to local public security bureaus and that sort of thing, which is kind of a, a, a callback to the Cultural Revolution. Now, in China itself, any public discussion of the Cultural Revolution is limited as the Chinese government continues to prohibit news organizations from mentioning details of the Cultural Revolution and any sort of discussions online within China and any books on the topic are obviously going to be subject to official scrutiny. Textbooks on the subject go by the official view as mentioned before. Many government's documents from the 1960s are still classified and therefore are not open for formal inspection to any sort of academia. At the National Museum of China in Beijing, the Cultural Revolution is barely mentioned in any of its historical exhibits. Um, and any sort of independent research of the Cultural Revolution by any kind of historians who are interested in Chinese culture or whatnot are discouraged by the Chinese government. This is a concern for many historians, um, sinologists, who are worried that as witnesses are getting older and they die, that any opportunity to thoroughly research this event within China may be lost forever. That the government still is very sensitive about the Cultural Revolution is an indication that the government considers itself to be an inheritor of that legacy, um, that they cannot purge what happened in the Cultural Revolution from the government as it stands now, and therefore it needs to try to ensure that there's no real connection or association between those, that any sort of academic insight, any discussions or whatnot would lead to ideological conflict and possibly increase the social instability and threaten the foundations of communist rule in China. So the focus of the Chinese government now is maintaining political and social stability and has been since Tiananmen in June of 1989. 
And the government really has no interest in reevaluating any issue that might lead to any sort of factionalism or split within Chinese leadership. And therefore, that's why they don't really want to deal with the Cultural Revolution in that way. Now, outside of mainland China, um, things are also happening. So in Hong Kong, a uh, pro-communist anti-colonial strike, which was inspired by the Cultural Revolution, was launched in 1967. It did a lot of excessive crazy things and it damaged the credibility of those activists in the eyes of Hong Kong residents. So as much as they were inspired by the Cultural Revolution in China, it did not work in the same way in Hong Kong. Um, in Taiwan, Zhang Zhejie initiated the Chinese Cultural Renaissance to counter what he regarded as the destruction of traditional Chinese values by the communists on the mainland. And at, in the world at large, Mao Zedong was seen as a symbol of uh, the self-determination, like grassroots, grassroots uprisings, you know, anti-establishment type thing. His revolutionary philosophies are uh, found in leaders throughout the world, like a lot of his um, thoughts and whatnot, and, and quotes from the Little Red Book as such. So, um, for example, the um, Shining Path of Peru is one political group that did it. Uh, the Black U.S. Black Panther Party uh, used a lot of Mao and his philosophies, his revolutionary philosophies. Um, and the 1960s counterculture revolution in general used a lot of it. And so in 2007, Hong Kong chief executive Don Donald Tsang actually remarked that the cultural revolution, quote, represented the dangers of democracy, unquote, and said, quote, people can go to the extreme like we, what we, start again, quote, People can go to the extreme like what we saw during the Cultural Revolution. When people take everything into their own hands, then you cannot govern the place. Which, unquote. So these remarks cause a bit of controversy in Hong Kong. And uh, the chief executive leader had to retract those comments with an apology. Now, as far as historians go, there have been many... Schools of thought about the Cultural Revolution, as in why did it unfold the way it did? Why did it begin in the first place? And what was the Cultural Revolution, really? Because there's many different contradictions within the Cultural Revolution itself. It's led by this omnipotent leader, but it's driven by popular uprisings and a lot of those were uprisings against the communist establishment and while Mao's leadership is pivotal in the beginning of the movement uh, some would argue that as events progressed it deviates from Mao's vision 
and therefore the Cultural Revolution isn't necessarily this thing led by Mao, but inspired by and then deviates from what Mao actually wanted. And that instead of being this large national movement, it's just a number of local revolutions that each one differed in its aims and goals based on the nature of who was leading it and where they were. It's also interesting to look at how much the movement focuses on Mao and his cult of personality. So Mao always envisioned himself as this wartime leader, which meant that he was very um, insecure and also a bit cautious with any sort of bureaucratic detail that comes in peacetime. So many would argue that the Cultural Revolution gave Mao, and this is why, you know, Mao had been quiet for such a long time during this peacetime governance, because he didn't really like or tend to deal with the the bureaucracy. So with the Cultural Revolution, he's basically returning to form and taking that role of like guerrilla leader fighting against this bureaucracy. And it's not really like, so what is it then? Is So why did he do this? Is it to um, have this ideological purity or, uh, you know, get rid of his political rivals? It's It's not necessarily all that clear. Uh, but his personal motivations, whatever they were, were integral to the Cultural Revolution. And so you have to look at what Mao was trying to do to really see what happened and how it happened, I guess. So, for example, you have to also look at... Um, you know, the geopolitical concerns, like there had been this ideological rift between China and the Soviet Union, uh, Khrushchev's ouster, the failures of the Great Leap Forward, the movement, at least in part, was a way for Mao to boost his prestige while he's still alive, cement his place in history, and preserve his ideas after his death. So there's also this mass hysteria that is unprecedented about the Cultural Revolution, and it contains elements in it that are so, you know, it's a cult of personality because it is cult-like, and it's this worship, like Mao is a deity, he is a god, he's got this godlike status during this period, and it basically gives him the ultimate power over every everything that he says being the word. Um, and so it's odd because, you know, he has all this power, and then sometimes his writings will be very vague, they'll be contradictory, they'll be esoteric. And so because of the nature of his writings being that way, 
it leads to this war over interpretation, which leads to these factions. And like I was saying before, sometimes factions were like fighting each other, but was there actually much difference other than one one in power and the other and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, both conservatives and liberals can draw on Mao's teachings and his ideologies and his quotes to achieve totally different goals. And oftentimes the struggles between the factions were like religious wars. And so it was almost like one side was saying they were the authentic Maoists and the others were saying, no, we are. And that, that was it. You know, um, it's interesting. Most Western books, when they talk about the uh, Cultural Revolution, it's completely a negative picture. Uh, some people, so for example, uh, historian Anne Thurston writes, quote, it led to the loss of culture and the spiritual values, loss of hope and ideals, loss of time, truth, and of life. And others have said that it was uh, a political movement that produced unprecedented social divisions, mass mobilization, hysteria, upheavals, arbitrary cruelty, torture, killings, and even civil war. And some have even called Mao one of the most tyrannical despots of the 20th century. It's, um, many will personally blame Mao, but that comes from their own perspective it comes from their own ideologies and that sort of thing as well is that a hundred is what their the western view 100 percent true no is the chinese view 100 percent no true probably not you need to kind of work through the middle bits because you cannot see it completely in a negative light you cannot see it completely in a positive light you need to kind of look at both sides of the coin it's Maoist nostalgia today in China kind of sees remnants of it as positive. How they, what happened at the other end of it is positive. How they got there, is it necessarily the way it should have gone? No. But that's the sort of thing that, you know, this is why we talk about perspective and this is why we talk about those sorts of things. Okay. So if you're looking at other sources to expand on the information and the knowledge and whatnot, there is a documentary called Morning Sun, which is very good and explores the events and effects of the Cultural Revolution. And there's a few books that are quite good. Red Scarf Girl is a memoir of experiences during the Cultural Revolution. There's an autobiography called Born Red, A Chronicle of the Cultural Revolution, which includes, obviously, experiences during the Cultural Revolution. And A Year in Upper Felicity is a book chronicling the a year in rural China during the Cultural Revolution. So those are all other types of sources that you could look at to extend, expand, enhance your knowledge on the cultural revolution. 
So that'll do me for now. I hope that this has been informative. I hope that it has been interesting. I hope that it may have clarified things. Maybe it's even popped some questions into your head and that's good too because you should always be thinking. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask them uh, and I will try to answer them for you. In the meantime, hope all is going well and I will now sign off and I will give you a little bit more of Deng Xiaoping by Brazzaville, maybe, if I can get it working. <laughs> if not, we'll just end right now, but I think I have got it now. Yeah, but I'll ask joyfully The dome of the sky plays